Welcome. Today we are going to be discussing deconstructing or deconstruction. What is it? How should we as believers think about this? Uh, this will be a conversation with my friend Annika. I'm looking forward to it. I hope you enjoy. Welcome. This is On Life, episode 20. Excellent. Well, hey, uh, thanks, Annika, for joining for a bit yeah. of a discussion about deconstruction. Um, y- yes, so let's take a second and just d- discuss what de- deconstructing means. Uh, I don't know if there is like one single aspect, but what's your understanding of, of deconstruction? What is this? So my understanding is that a person starts questioning their faith, tenets of their faith. There are certain things um, that they'll kind of go to, like, um, uh, what's it called, inconsistencies in scripture or kind of questions related to that, you know, all-time question, why do terrible things happen to good people if God is all-loving, all-powerful? And also, I, I think a lot of it is wrapped up in kind of what's going on in the social justice conversation now in Western culture, at least, and just um, LGBT, the LGBT community, like why would God, uh, why would God have rules set in place for a sexual ethic that does not include LGBT people, for example, Um, that kind of thing, or like why was there so many oppressive dynamics and things like that in the Old Testament or in the New Testament. And, you know, like, it just looks like God condones all of this oppressive behavior. And how can that possibly be true? And so then, um, so then I think, you know, once a person starts asking all of those questions and not being able to quite reconcile disappointments or just pain with an all loving God, um, they slowly kind of start to walk away. Right. Is what I've understood. So, then again, I live in a Middle Eastern context. This is mostly from conversations I've had with friends, things that I've read, podcasts I've listened to, just people kind of talking about this this process. So, yeah. Right. Yeah, I mean, the uh, <clears throat> so I've, I've known a number of people who've used the phrase deconstructing, and yeah, like what you're getting at, I think largely encapsulates. It can be everything from just like asking questions about, faith and like theology and cultural things to almost like a, in some cases, it seems like it really is just a, a pursuit of atheism or something. And I mean, I remember, I I think it's hard to, if one is a thoughtful person, it's hard to grow up in a Christian context and not at some point begin asking questions, right? Like, you know, there's the classic theological questions like, uh, free will and determinism. Like, does life even matter? Are we just all pawns? Um, then there's questions like the inspiration of scripture and, and Christians and violence and how salvation works. Um, and then you were getting at some of those like cultural questions of things that might not seem fair, or if God is really good, why do good things happen to bad people, etc. And I, I remember like, for example, uh, when I was This must have been 2006 or seven. So I would have been about 20. And uh, somebody I grew up with, she was married to a guy who was serving in the army and he was a helicopter pilot. And 
I, I think it was just like a training exercise, but something happened, mechanical failure, the, the helicopter crashed and he died. And, mm. you know, I remember thinking in that moment, like, I, I, I get why we die. We're all going to die if, if the Lord tarries. Hebrews chapter 10, I believe. You know, it's appointed for man to die once. Then comes the judgment. Like, we know that sin has entered the world. I have an explanation for why there's brokenness, why there's sin, why there's death. But I also know that God could have intervened in that helicopter crash and saved him. Exactly. Yeah. And here he was, like, this, like, 25-year-old dude married to one of my friends. Uh, I mean, I'd, I'd met him, but I wasn't friends with him. And now she's, like, a widow, like, just a couple of years into the marriage. And it's like, why didn't God... You know what I'm saying? Like, oh yeah, it's so hard to reconcile that when it doesn't make sense. Knowing that God is all powerful, He could have intervened, and why didn't He? <laughs> right, and and those questions that they can kind of stick with you and start. They yeah. can lead to other questions, and and so, you know, when I think about deconstructing, I w- I would say, you know, if 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 someone's listening to this and even identifying with deconstruction, like if you're intentionally walking in some sort of rebellious arrogance, I love you. More importantly, Jesus loves you, but you need to humble yourself and repent. Um, If you're blaming Mm -hmm. God for the sins of man, you need to humble yourself and repent. But I also understand that you might be hurting and confused and like, I don't know, just doubting, but desiring to believe. And there was the the account in Mark chapter nine, where um, there's a, a, child brought to Jesus and actually the disciples are trying to pray for this child who's demon possessed and they're failing to like deliver him and they bring him to Jesus and Jesus says like uh, something like everything's possible for the one who believes And, and immediately the father of the boy cries out with tears saying I do believe help my unbelief and and that like that, that passage has always resonated with me because part of me is like, I believe. And then part of me is like, oh, this is, this is hard. And there are questions. And yeah, I believe, but my son's like getting thrown into the fire. Like what's, uh, and so, yeah, I, I think I have a lot of empathy. I've, I've been there, done that, so to speak, in terms of just wrestling with concerns and, and questions. Like what's a little bit of your life journey looked like? Have Like, I, I know you grew up in the church um, I realize you might have a slightly unique context. You're a dual citizen. Your parents have been missionaries for years. Um, you grew up mostly in the Northwest, right? Yeah, well, both. I was a group both on the East Coast and the West Coast. Okay. Half and half, in a way. Um, and, like, did you have that? Did you Do you have any kind of moments or seasons of life where... Maybe there was some sort of questioning in a very broad sense, a little bit of a, a, a deconstructing. Existential crisis. <laughs> yes. Um, I don't remember going through a period of serious doubt. Okay. Um, and I don't know why that is. Maybe it's because I'm not the most analytical person and I, I do kind of take things at face value. So if the Bible says this, then I believe it. You know, intellectually, I'm there. Amen. Um, I just, sometimes, uh, you know, the emotions take a while to kind of catch up. <laughs> you know, if right. I'm experiencing something that's painful or hard or whatever. But I've always just sort of had an ability to take the Bible at face value and just believe that it's true. Um, I'm lucky, I guess, in that sense. Um, I don't know if that has to do with my temperament or, you know, cause I have great parents, but 
I know lots of great parents whose children have walked away from the Lord, you know. Mm. So, um, but I, I would say what's kept me from walking away from the Lord is I've had sort of significant moments in my life where I've had to wrestle through and either choose to believe that God is the answer to all of my questions and all of my problems, or he's not. Mm. And so, and I've chosen to believe that he is, Yeah, you know, and that I've chosen to believe that he is good, not just good in sort of the broad sense, but he's also good to me, um, even though I have experienced a series of disappointments and I don't understand why. Like, I've, I've had these kind of significant wrestling matches with God. And I think I've just just chosen to believe that he is good, chosen to believe that he is the answer out of a sense of faith and just sort of daring God to be like, now prove me, prove yourself to me. Mm. Um, Hopefully not in an arrogant entitled way, but just like in a way like, Lord, I believe that you can do this because you did this in the Bible. You did this, you know, to all of these people that I know have shared their testimonies with me. Like, I believe you can do this in my life. (laughs) You know, like, Sort of like with Jacob, just wrestling and not wanting to let go, you know, with from you know with the angel of the Lord, just like I will not let go of you until you bless me, kind of. Right. Thing. Um, so I've had a few of those moments, and sure enough, I mean, the Lord has really come through and shown Himself faithful to me, not like right away, or not necessarily in the way that I would have, that I was asking for, that I'd expected, but in a way that always has shown to me that. Like his way is so much better than mine and so much like higher than mine. And I just need to sometimes shut up and kneel, you know? Exactly. Um, so that's basically <laughs> been, been my experience. And that might sound easy to people like, oh, well, you've just had an easy time of it. I don't know. But, but well, I think what it is is like you, you pressed into the Lord in those moments. You know, one of the things I love about the Psalms is <clears throat> there, there's tons in the Psalms. But several yeah. times we see the psalmist wrestling with questions, with distress, with concerns, with a sense of like, this isn't fair, God. Where are you, God? Um, th- there's, there's something deep turmoil, turmoil, but there's always a, in the midst of it, a pursuit of God. Uh, in, in Psalm 73, just pop this up. Um, I love that psalm. You know what I'm talking about? And and, and the psalm (laughs) is like, this isn't fair that the the wicked are prospering and the righteous, like, what's happening? And he says, uh, looking for the verse. Verse 16 and 17, until I entered the presence of God, I understood their final destiny. That is the key. Amen. Okay. (laughs) Amen. You know the psalm better than I do. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But it's it's so significant. And, And, you know, like... As, as I think about this, I think it's it's important for us to land in that place where Peter was in John 6, where, where Jesus gives us hard teaching, and, and Peter's response is not, oh, I got it, Lord. Uh, it makes sense to me. Jesus says, are you guys going to leave too? And Peter's response is, to whom shall we go? For you have the words of life. There's something about the presence of God that it, it doesn't necessarily remove all of our questions. But things just come into focus in light of who God is. And, mm-hmm. and there is one of the things I've, I've noticed uh, is that we can have a tendency. I think this is a human problem. It's not just like a 21st century deconstructing movement problem. It's a human problem. There's this like 
curse of youth where we feel like we're the first ones to struggle with something or the first ones to question something or the first ones to like come into this. Uh, you know, it, it really is, um, it's, a, it's an unintended or almost like an accidental arrogance that almost, yeah. like you almost necessarily walk in as a youth simply because you are so self-centered and short-sighted. And it's not like... Well, yeah. <laughs> Everyone thinks they know everything at right. seven. And even like with this, I, I think sometimes yeah. they're in the deconstruction movement. And, and I know like, you know, even when I was like 20, I'm like, why doesn't the church talk about blah? And like, oh, they did. It was just like three years ago and I wasn't paying attention. And it's not like every week you can talk about everything. And right. just because you just happen to become aware of something doesn't mean that Christians for centuries haven't been thinking about this and considering this. Things like the problem of pain and fairness and God's goodness and justice. Uh, and so like, I, I do want to speak and kind of discuss some like real concerns and and problems that I see at least with some who would use the label deconstructing. But first, I want to take a minute and like brainstorm to those who are frustrated by deconstruction, which is me at times, just to be honest. Uh, like maybe there's some legitimacy or or validity to some of the questions or concerns that are raised by young people today. I, I think it often comes in the context of a bit of uh, maybe to be charitable, unintentional arrogance, but they might, there might be some validity to some of the concerns. And so like, I don't know, what are second generation Christians, particularly in a Western context, that's where we see deconstruction, at least the phrase used. And that's mm. my world. And although you're in the Middle East right now, by the way, everybody, Annika's in the Middle East. Uh, the we're, we're still we're still we're surrounded by people people we grew up with who are Western second generation Christians. What are some of the concerns and like that have some validity? Like, what are some some things we might be able to learn or questions we might be able to explore as believers in a healthy way? Like, what do you think? Like, well, I think. If I'm referring back to an article that I read recently in Relevant, which I also sent to you, I believe, and he was saying something like, deconstruction is actually a gift from God to the church. Okay. And I don't agree with that statement entirely, but I would say that we need to distinguish from deconstruction of religion and deconstruction of faith. I think that the church can definitely afford to deconstruct religion and just the empire and the industry that we've built around church and Christianity and in the way that we have kind of created it to be this product that we sell to people For sure. and that we consume. So I think that I, I imagine that for many people who are sort of walking through a process of deconstruction now, that they just feel disillusioned with that machine, you know, mm. like like Christianity can't be this, you know, it has to be more than this. There has to be more authenticity to this. There has to be more to actually like loving your neighbor and loving mercy, loving justice, you know, like the Micah six, eight verse and, and all that. And they just don't see that happening really in an authentic way because of all of this machinery and industry that, that we've built up around our faith and the way that we express and practice our faith. And I have full empathy and understanding for that because that has been something that's been very frustrating to me. Um, but then to just d distinguish that from 
who God is. We can't just walk away from our faith and then conflate God and his kingdom and his, you know, rules for life, so to right. speak, with the way that the church has been practicing these things. Right. You know, we, we cannot conflate the two. We have to really separate and and uh, read the Bible honestly and just see, you know, just see, like, what did God say? How did this play out? What were the consequences? And is this something that that I can accept, even if it's not something that I like or that doesn't necessarily align with, you know, my own set of moral values that I've created that have been influenced by culture and just a number of things. Um, no, that's yeah, good. That and, and like along those lines, I think one key is when Nehemiah heard about the state of the walls in Jerusalem, mm-hmm. he was like, his response wasn't like, what's up with the, I, I think like 30,000 Hebrews had been sent back, you know, I don't know, a couple decades earlier with Ezra and that crew. He wasn't like, what's wrong with them? He was like, mm-hmm. he was broken and repentant yeah. and humble and ready mm-hmm. to take his place when God gave him an opportunity. And and I, yeah. I do think it's, the no nobody is perfect. No church is perfect. If you grew up in the church, I grew up in the church, when you start looking around and thinking, you're going to see systems that are shallow, uh, maybe even direct people in poor ways. You're going to see the tendency to be judgmental. Um, You're going to see, like, there are going to be plenty of issues that you can find find pretty fast. You're going to see, ah, just... Mm-hmm. All sorts of stuff. We don't have to name it all. It's like too much to name. And, and and I do think that it can be tempting to like uh check out and abandon abandon a people who who are trying to follow Jesus but imperfectly. Or we can say like, Lord, help us, like help us encourage and build and, and direct people towards you. And, and I would like, cause I do think there's a lot of, you can't not be part of a church without seeing issues and areas to grow. Um, the selfish response is just to bounce. Mm-hmm. The God response is to say, okay, for the season I'm here, how can I help? How can I be used by the Lord? And, and so, like, e- even in that, th- there's lots to observe. And I would encourage everybody, like, be that Nehemiah who's like, hey, when the Lord opens up an opportunity, let's let's build the walls. Let's build the walls. But, but there certainly are things that people see. You know, one I was thinking about was in the past decade, definitely in the American context, uh, you know, we talk often about polarization and politics and culture and... Uh, it's not like brand new. I mean, go back like a hundred years in U.S. history, and I don't know. People have beat each other up in the House before, <laughs> the House of Representatives. Like crazy stuff has happened. It's not like humans are like it, it's novel that we're not getting along well. Um, but but there is like even within the church. Like I look around, and I, sometimes I see Christians and like stuff they're posting online and and just harsh statements and there's an attitude that's really disconcerting even when i agree with kind of their point right and and i think it concerns me as i I wouldn't at all describe myself as deconstructing but i see the concern and i think to some who are deconstructing 
um, they're seeing a similar concern. Now, you know, their response might be judgmental and self-righteous <laughs> rather than mine, which is like to, to pray for and try to uh, try to model something different and encourage people in a healthier way. But I see an attitude that is that is harsh and unthoughtful, ungracious. Also one where like questions are brought, it can be really easy for us to to respond defensively rather than to defend the faith. And, and I would like tease out the difference, right? There's a difference between being defensive and defending the faith. In Jude chapter, well, Jude chapter one, it's only a one chapter book. <laughs> uh, in chapter one, uh, somewhere towards the, the beginning of the book, he talks about like defending the faith or contending for the faith. And uh, it, it's important to, to do that, but not in a way that's just defensive and shuts down questions. Um, I, I'm sure we've all been in that place where you feel like, is there anybody I can actually ask about this? So, so here's a question. Um, I remember, you know, a, a few years back, A, feeling like, feeling hesitant to ask most people questions, partly because I'd asked a few people questions and gotten very quickly shut down. But as I purpose to continue asking questions, I found that most people are actually really great with questions. And is there a way to, as now, as as older believers, (laughs) um, is there a way for us to like signal to people like, hey, we're we're happy to talk about this and like process this. Like, how do we flag that? Because I think there are actually, it's easy to feel like, you can't, there's no places to ask questions in the church, but actually in my experience, there are lots of places and just mm-hmm. too many people feel like there are none. And so they don't ask anybody, but I'm like, there's 50 people at my local church that you could have asked about this. And they would have like prayed with you and loved on you and like walked with you. How do we, is there a way to better communicate that? Or is it just a problem? We can't, does it make sense what I'm asking right now? When I'm, yeah, I think so. I think the key is relationship. And I think that it's really only within the context of relationship and trust that you can air questions of Mm. doubt and you can struggle, you can be transparent and honest about what you're going through, what you're thinking. Um, And I think really good settings for these kinds of conversations are like small group Bible studies or just, you know, having, being intentional about having lunch or coffee after church on a Sunday with a, you know, one or a group of people maybe that, you know, are perhaps questioning or struggling a little bit, but just really yeah. making it about relationships that we're not making it about an agenda. Like you have questions and I have answers and I'm going to persuade you, you know, um, it's, I really find that the best conversations and the healthiest conversations happen you know, when we are in relationship, when we're not, because if we're not in relationship, then obviously there, well, there just is so much more of a tendency to get defensive because then we mm. don't know where the person's coming from. We don't know why they're asking these questions, what they're struggling with. And we just have these, you know, scripture verses <laughs> that we throw at them. Right. Um, but that doesn't, that's not helpful. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, so, I mean, maybe that's just, that sounds very simplistic, but I just think relationship is so important when you're going through life together, you're doing church, you're asking questions, but surprisingly many maybe don't have that kind of fellowship or 
context or relationship. I don't know, but, um, but yeah. I mean, I think there's a lot of room to grow there. Definitely more than once. I've had somebody that was actually like, I feel like we had pretty healthy relationship, but they'll tell me like a year after the fact, like, oh yeah, last year I was like struggling with my faith all year. I'm like, dude, we talked like every week. <laughs> like, why did you never say anything to me? Uh, and it's like, y- y- you want to like wring their throat and then simultaneously you're just like, uh, okay, if I do that, it's not going to help. <laughs> I don't know. Have you ever been there where you're like, yo, like don't, I don't know. We have this, this weird thing where way more than once I've heard people, someone complain about like uh, a lack of relationship but then they don't actually like enter into relationship with any of the people in their lives who are like open to relationship and I'm like that's I don't know it it seems like a a self-fulfilling prophecy or in this case a self-fulfilling curse like I have no meaningful relationship and then I never tell anyone anything that's going on in my life well yeah you're not going to (laughs) well I yeah I mean people really do have to push themselves to I, maybe it's courage, maybe it's lazy, like lack of courage, lack of, or maybe it's laziness. I don't know what it is, but like, if you have a genuine desire to understand God and church and Christianity, then you have to be in relationship. You have to push yourself to to seek. You have to seek. <laughs> you know, you can't just sit right. there and expect things to come to you. You really have to seek it out. Um, and you have to have grace for people. Like, not everybody's perfect. We're all hypocrites. We're all gonna say things that come off, you know, maybe not the way that we meant them, but if you have grace for people, um, and you kind of just stick with them a little bit and just have patience, then eventually I'm sure that you'll get to a place where you can feel like you trust them and you have, that there's rapport enough to, to ask the difficult questions. I don't know. Um, I'm a very relational person. So for me, it's never been hard, this whole relationship concept, whereas for others, it might be really challenging. So yeah. I don't want to pretend to understand why, but... Um, you know, but I wonder if part of it... By the way, I, I want to kind of explore a few other, like, what are some somewhat, at least partially legitimate questions or concerns those who are deconstructing raise? But, but I do wonder if, if on the relational thing and not like going to people with questions. Some of it could be, it could be a few different things, but one of them could simply be we so easily, there, there was a book. <laughs> you got to love when you, you see a book title, but never read the book. But the title seems like informative enough that I don't even need to read it. <laughs> oh, I'm so stupid. Anyhow, uh, there was a book published in the eighties called, oh, what was it called? Amusing ourselves to death. Oh, I don't know if yeah. you've ever heard of it. It's, it's mm-hmm. one of those books I never read, I don't plan to read, and I'm like, great point. (laughs) Like, the title says all I needed to get from it. And I'm like, it's so true. And and I do wonder if sometimes, sometimes it's not even that we're not being, like, honest with our friends. It's, we're not even really being honest with ourselves and God. We're just not taking time to process and contemplate because we're just... running from work to school to Bible study to watching Netflix till 2 a.m. and you wake up the next morning exhausted and do it again. And you have these maybe questions and concerns that are eating away at you, but you're not even really processing them well by yourself, let alone with friends. And it's not like you're like lying or trying to avoid. You're just busy. And then in any time that 
should be spent in like healthy processing by yourself with the Lord, with friends. You're just, we're such an entertained culture at this point. Laziness. It's, I think it's emotional laziness. Like Mm. we just kind of try to, we just kind of fall back on what's easy, what's going to kind of numb things and kind of dull the questions a bit. Yeah. Um, Rather than actually engaging in the pain and asking why, <laughs> why am uh, I feeling this? Where is it coming from? How can I deal with it? Yeah, I'm guilty of that at times. Uh, <laughs> oh yeah, everybody is. I'm super lazy, but still really unhealthy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so, like, what are some other things that you've you've heard friends who are deconstructing, kind of like maybe concerns or or questions they're raising that you're like, hey, there there's something valid here, even though I maybe have a concern with how it's being processed. I would say probably things having to do with social justice and LGBT questions. Okay. Um, and I mean, I don't know that many people personally who have been going through deconstruction. It's just, it's something I've been talking about with a friend who is, lives in the States and, and has a lot of this going on around her. And so she and I have been talking about that, but most, you know, more from her perspective. But I just, I think it's, um, like culture is really strongly going in the direction of progressive human rights, progressive social justice values. Um, and some of them align with what I would consider kingdom values, but a lot of them don't. Um, and, And when we allow too much that the culture informs what we believe is right and what we would believe is, you know, a good pattern or principle to follow for a wholesome life, um, when we allow culture to inform that more than we allow scripture to inform that, then our values get skewed and maybe like, you know, our hearts are in a good place, but then we're looking at things through a distorted lens and we're we're, we're kind of judging God for not being merciful enough or not being inclusive enough or not mm. being loving enough. Um, you know, why does he basically just ostracize a, a whole community of people? Um, why doesn't he allow people to just love each other the way that they want to love each other? Why does he put such strict rules down for you know, what marriage is and what family is and just what we would, you know, consider an orthodox biblical sexual ethic. Um, That seems to be where a lot of the questions start in the people, at least, you know, and some of my family members who are kind of going through deconstruction or toying with with it, Um, which is a sticky issue. Um, because a lot of it just, there's so much emotion involved. Mm. Um, and it's hard to talk about in a way that doesn't hurt people's feelings or make them feel unsafe. Um, you know, like, you know, it doesn't allow for like a safe space to be created. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, I, I yeah, mean, I'm I, about to go rant, so, or not yeah. rant, but like ramble, I'm rambling. So, 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 so some of what <laughs> you were just bringing up, um, what's really tricky is, you know, I used the word polarization earlier, and I think polarization's 
easy and common because there, there's this tendency to, to see something problematic and to overreact. Mm-hmm. Um, I would even say at some level, the, the, <laughs> I have no clue, this could be a can of worms, so we don't have to talk about it for long, <laughs> but I think that the feminist movement in the United States recognized some legitimate problems and abuses. Mm-hmm. I think yeah. the, the use, abuse, and oppression of women by men has been one of the most common and widespread sins throughout human history and today. But you can also overreact and, and start <laughs> rejecting biblical truth and God's design for gender in, in a response to real and horrific sin. And, and similarly, mm-hmm. uh, you know, y- you can see someone, uh, a born-again Christian could see a, a culture that's rejecting God start r- raising this issue and this issue and this issue that might have something to it. But as a result of like, those are those evil people, you just like wholesale, you, you overreact and you end up being the, you know, we, we don't care about the suffering. We don't care about the the impoverished, the uneducated, like, you know, and, and, and it can come across as, as very harsh and, and, and genuinely it is sometimes harsh and not loving and, and, but it's easy. It's easy to overreact. And, and then of course people see the overreaction and then like it drives people who are like, who had some sort of nuance the opposite way. And so it's a system that very, and and on all these topics, right. And, and so, so even take something like, take something like you mentioned LGBTQ issues, something like same sex marriage. Um, I, I think, you know, several years ago, one of my sisters is gay. And, and so it caused me to kind of do deep dive into Bible study and like, what does the scripture really say about this? Like, honestly, I was, part of me was hoping like, maybe we've misunderstood this. And I, so I was exploring scripture and doing a deep dive. And, uh, I found most, uh, pro gay marriage theologians are really, really bad thinkers. But I found this one website is like, Hey, this person seems to like really honor God, have a high view of scripture and their pro-gay marriage. Like, let's see what they're thinking. And, and I actually mess, found the guy on Facebook and messaged him and replied to me. It was, it was awesome. Like he was really helpful. Um, ultimately I, I very, very much disagreed with him on some essential, like very basic ideas, but I found him helpful. And, and it was helpful for me as I was wrestling through this. And, and I realized in the process, like 30 years ago, most American Christians had what I would say was largely correct doctrine on the reality that God's design for marriage is a man and woman in covenant relationship and sex within that context. But it was often presented uh, with without much graciousness or nuance. Uh, 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 you know, a it's it's it was a joke, but it was a joke that was basically presented as the doctrinal defense. God created Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. <laughs> and you're like, that's yeah. not very robust in terms right. of like a, a biblical, thoughtful, what is God's design here? All it is is a joke. And and, and what what's I, th- I think can happen is you see and, and there has been a real um I would say in the United States some members within the LGBTQI plus community have really been uh, pushing an evil agenda in our culture. Some members have been pushing something, but a response to it, I can remember several years ago, I was, I was preaching somewhere and talking about God's design for, for gender and sex. 
and I referenced homosexuality and somebody that was in the, the group was like, ugh. I was like, duh, like this is unhelpful in multiple ways. And I actually was able to talk to them afterwards. And I was like, look, um, I, I think this is real sin, but, and it bothers you and, and it's okay for sin to bother somebody. But Jesus's point is it, it's in the Sermon on the Mount. Is it Matthew six or seven? It's Matthew seven, where he talks about the, the splinter in your eye, the plank, no, the plank in your eye, the splinter in your brothers. The point of Jesus's teaching right there is our sin, my sin, Jamie's sin should bother Jamie the most. I should be the most bothered by my sin. And uh, I should be bothered by all sin. Sin is, is, is sin. God hates sin. Since part of why God hates sin is because sin separates people God loves from himself. And, and sin should bother me as a child of God, but my own sin should bother me the most. And, mm-hmm. and so like grabbing that, that biblical, that Jesus oriented like perspective, it, it doesn't just say like, oh, there's this like evil movement. So I'm like at that group. And I, I don't know. Like, I, so I think some who are deconstructing might not even immediately find themselves on either extreme, but they see some in the church who are really have a, a self-righteous and, and vile response and be like, there's something about that. That's not Christ-like. And I, I have to say, I agree. I agree. Like mm-hmm. there's a valid, no, it's what would be inappropriate. And sadly it happens at times is as a result, people end up rejecting God's design for sex and marriage. Uh, but, but they're, they're seeing something that I'm like, yeah, there might be some validity at times to that. Right. And, um, I don't know. Well, I think sometimes the pitfall is when a person bases his or her theology on the behavior of other Christians rather than on scripture, Mm. Um, that there's not enough rootedness in scripture um, to kind of keep someone from kind of falling over, so to speak, um, when the wind blows really hard. You know, it's like it's they've they've based their theology and their understanding of who God is on the behavior of other Christians. And that's always going to disappoint you, always, because Christians behave really badly. <laughs> you know, it's, yeah. it's sad, but it's true. We all behave yeah. badly. Um, you know, hopefully we are Christians because we try, you know, we keep trying to become more Christ-like and, and, and more loving in the process and more sanctified and all that stuff, but we do behave badly. And so, uh, but our theology cannot be based on what other people do right. and how other people act, because otherwise we have no base to stand on. Um, right. No, that's perfect. And, uh, you know, I think most most American Christians, at least, will be familiar with Ravi Zacharias. He was a, maybe an Indian-born yeah. Canadian. Um, he had mm-hmm. a really massively influential ministry. And... and very sadly, he was he was in major sin for years. People close to him were so trusting of him that they were dismissive. Uh, I, I don't know all the details, but it was really bad, even the way his ministry operated around him, and super yeah. tragic. Like just him him using people, and I don't know all the details, but if you've heard of it, you've heard of it. And and what what can easily happen is our faith can be rocked because. Just like you said, like we're building, our faith really isn't grounded in Jesus and who he is. 
and, and truth, our, our faith at some level is grounded on the people around us and they're going to let us down at some point. Um, mm-hmm. and, and this isn't a new thing. Uh, I, I think I've mentioned this to you before, but Francis Bacon, he's like the father of mo- modern science he, re- science. he wrote a short essay 400 years ago on the causes of atheism and he gives four causes and, and a couple of the causes are things like divisions in religion and scandal amongst the priests. It's the same kind of stuff today. Um, yeah. You know, I've certainly encountered a few people who at least present that their deconstruction was based on scientific rigor and profoundly like intellectual thinking. But most of the people in my life who've deconstructed and moved towards some sort of hopeful agnosticism or even atheism, it really, if, if they're being honest with you, it's it was because of the way some Christian treated them. Um, mm-hmm. And the reality is all of us are treated poorly by the people around us. But if you're judging Jesus by it, like, huh. But, but here's a question. B- before we talk about some of the problems with the way deconstructing persons move there, um, I think this could be a call for, for people in the church t- t- in two ways. One is, uh, firstly, be really clear that the gospel is not join us because we're all great. Like, let's be really, really clear. I was, I was just talking to a friend I grew up with last night, um, and he's married and has like, uh, I don't know, three or four kids now. And, you know, we were talking, I was like, I want, I want in the conversation last night as like, you know, even if you were perfect parents, which you're not, no, nobody is a perfect parent, but even if you were perfect parents, your kids at some point will feel like pressure from you just because you like love them and you want good things for them. They're going to feel pressure and they're going to tend towards like legalism or condemnation or they're going to like break. Like it's just going to happen. It's part of life. And like what's we, there are a number of things we can communicate to help, but most centrally it's just to communicate the gospel again and again. Mm -hmm. Cause at some point like self-righteousness or legalism or condemnation is going to like going to rise to the surface in them because they're broken, they're sinful. And even if you're a perfect parents, this is going to happen. Um, and, and the best solution is just be really clear on what the gospel is. And I think that's the case here. I, I, I would, I have to imagine that local Christian communities that do a really good job of articulating the gospel were less rocked by the news of Ravi Zacharias being involved in sexual sin over the course of years. Mm-hmm. I, I'm sure they were grieved. I was grieved by that news, but my faith was not at all rocked because my faith is not in Ravi. My faith is in the finished work of Jesus Christ. And so being really clear on the gospel, but secondly, um, maybe there's a call here to, to, to step up and, um, not because it'll prove that Jesus is Jesus, but just because maybe there's a, an observation that there's a lot of, uh, casualness in the church to sin, to hypocrisy, let's repent. Let's, to, to the extent that this is recognized, um, if, if, if I were, you know, in Robbie's, Robbie's ministry, ho- hopefully next time I'm in a ministry, I'm not going to just automatically defend someone as above reproach when clearly they could be in sin. I don't know. There, there's some lessons to learn here. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I think, um, and this is a whole topic unto itself. So, yeah. but I think so much of what we're seeing, the root issue, the root sin is the abuse of power. Mm. And I think that the church has not done a good enough job at being countercultural. 
we have instead engaged and perpetuated the abuse of power. And I think that's that's really the what grieves me the most when I hear about stories like Ravi and just the, yeah. the fact that his people didn't keep him accountable. Um, and but the, I absolutely the gospel is the gospel, and we're always we're, I mean we have to yeah. just keep pointing to Jesus. That's the aim. We all need the cross. But also we need to do better. We need, as a church, we need to do better to just be more aware of how we abuse power and just be less tolerant of when we see other people abusing power. Amen. Um, <clears throat> okay, so I want to take a moment uh, and talk about some, some profound concerns about the way some people in my life have approached deconstruction. Um, I would say... To anyone listening who is would self-describe as deconstructing, that means a lot of things. If the shoe fits, wear it. Did, did you grow up hearing that phrase all the time? <laughs> it was like a favorite of my mom's. Not a ton. Like, of course, I've heard it a lot, but I've never quite understood. It, it might have been. You never what? <laughs> I never quite understood what it meant. It wasn't something that my parents used. Okay. I heard other people say Maybe, it. And I was like. Ooh. It might have been because I was in a big family. So it, it would be kind of like if something was not happening well, my parents would just send a rebuke out to all of us. And if one of us is like, but I didn't do it. They're like, if the shoe fits, wear it. Like if, if you didn't do it, good for you. Keep doing it right. But if you were the one who like left the cup by the sink and didn't wash it, like wash your cups, everybody. Don't, don't raise your hand and be like, it wasn't me. Who, oh. who cares? Like, if the shoe fits, wear it. Put it on. Uh, so we use it a lot. I'm one of nine for uh, listeners who are unaware. So unfortunately, the shoe often fit. <laughs> um, but so I, I have some definitely some profound concerns. And it might come across a little bit harsh, but because they really are, uh, I, I intend to be clear. Um, and if the shoe fits, wear it. And here's my concern, is that many cons concerns presented by those who are deconstructing are implicitly presumptuous or, or arrogant. And, and really what it is, is, is not only is it, is it part of that just curse of youth where you feel like you're the first one to ever question something, but, but we're questioning things in a way that is really, when we question something in a way that makes us the ju judge and God on trial, we are taking a seat superior to God. Like that is mm -hmm. absolutely mind boggling. If you just think about that from like an objective, humble position, like who am I to try to decide whether God's doing things correctly? Uh, mm -hmm. For example, I, I heard one YouTube, like a famous YouTuber who had, it's actually really sad. He had been on staff at Campus Crusade for Christ, um, serving the Lord. He was married, had some kids, and he started like deconstructing in his faith. And, and at one point in, the, in this video, he mentioned, he's like, I definitely know that hell doesn't exist, but I'm not sure about heaven. Hmm. And I just wanted to pause and be like, bro, how do you definitely know a hell doesn't exist, but you're not sure about heaven? Like he's not sure if God exists, but even if God does exist, hell definitely doesn't. I'm like, do you know what that is? That is called projection. You have decided that a good God couldn't permit something like hell. And hey, for the sake of argument, maybe hell doesn't exist. But the basis he was using was his own 
wishful thinking. And so he's basically mm-hmm. saying, I am deciding this is true about the universe. And I'm trying to decide whether or not God agrees and can be allowed in my universe. Like that is just so, it, it, it might be un, an unknowing. Like somebody could be saying this and not even realize it, but you are considering yourself superior to God and you haven't even decided for sure if God exists or not. If God exists, hit your knees and, and bow. Like when, jo- when Job was questioning some things, God shows up in Job, like, I don't know, chapter 40-ish. And he's like, where were you? Where were you, Job? And he kind of puts him in his place. And there's just something, when we're walking in a self-centered, short-sighted thing, and, and we start making conclusions about how the universe is, and then see if God's allowed to exist in our world, that is just pompous. I don't know. I have very strong feelings on this. Uh, <laughs> have, have you thought about this before? Like, what's your take? Have you, have you thought about like how the way we sometimes question God is making ourselves superior? Yeah. Well, I think I often think about something that C.S. Lewis once wrote, and I'm not quoting it exactly, but he says something to the effect of when you're so busy walking around looking down, you cannot see what's above you. So it's like when we're looking down on things and we're, you know, criticizing or we're, you know, like you said, putting ourselves sort of above God, you know, we, we're obviously not looking up and seeing what is above us. And God is so clearly above us. Um, and so that's always something that comes to mind when, you know, maybe I'm wrestling with something that I don't particularly like, <laughs> that I feel disappointed about. I'm like, God, yeah. this is not fair. Um, like Annika, look up. You got to look up because otherwise, you know, you have the entirely wrong perspective and you lose all sense of proportion. Um, and I think talking, speaking to the cultural moment for a second, and it really relates to what you've said, is I think that we have just more and more people are becoming narcissistic in the way that they think. And mm-hmm. I think that that has to do with, um, you know, as we've just consistently and progressively stripped away uh, church and biblical thought from public life, you know, that's that public common space kind of becomes devoid of common values. And so then what do we do? Then we like we look towards ourselves and we start constructing our own set of values. Um, And then it becomes very much about my truth and my lived experience and my pain and my disappointment. And it's all very, very me focused. And just we become very narcissistic people. It's true. Um, And so I think that that's the way culture is going. That's the you know, that's the way I just see so much narcissism and and the dialogue today just around a lot of different things. But um, and I think but I think that that's that correlates with the kind of the trend of deconstruction that we're seeing is that people are so focused on their own pain and their own questions, their own doubts, their own lived experience, their own journey that they can't see what's above them because they're not looking up. Right. That's good observation. It's true. I've never heard that CS Lewis quotation. Do you know what work that's from? I don't. It might be mere Christianity. I can't remember. If it is, uh, fail on me, because I've definitely read that one, but I don't well, remember. Well, I have too. I've read so many of his books, but I can't remember right now. I will look it up and get back to you. <laughs> you know what? A- a- another C.S. Lewis quotation. Um, so one of my like semi-annual rants is, God is not nice. And, and, and I, mm. I do think that even within this deconstructing conversation, 
some of what we, we've hit on earlier, even with questions about things like, uh, you know, political policies and, and, and the way we might approach questions regarding sexuality or even just relationship and, and things like this, we tend to put it through this framework of like, uh, even for people who, who maintain some sort of belief in God, they allow their doctrine to be shaped by God is nice. If God exists, hell definitely doesn't. So like, I'm not sure if God exists, but hell definitely doesn't. Because if God doesn't exist, there wouldn't be hell. And if God does exist, there wouldn't be hell. Why? Because God's nice. And I'm like, God is not nice. Did you know that in the Bible, God is never, not even one single time in any English translation that I've ever looked at is God described as nice. Um, mm-hmm. now I, I realize nice is one of those like broad words, but, but this is why I don't like it. Like God is good and God is kind. God is also holy and just. And, and the thing about nice is nice is this like, so here's the, the Lewis quotation this makes me think of. Um, uh, Mr. Beaver is, is talking about Aslan and, and uh, this is in Lion, Witch, in the Wardrobe. And he's having a conversation with, I don't know, Lucy or Susan or something. And he says something like he's talking about Aslan being the great lion. And, and Louis is like, oh, I thought he was a man. I, I would, is he safe? I would feel kind of nervous about meeting a lion. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king. And, and God is not safe. God is not nice, but God is good. And, and there is even in, in the ether, and, and I, I feel it even like infecting like Christian communities that I'm part of at times, which is why literally from the pulpit at least once a year, I do like a five minute, God is not nice. God is kind. He is good. He is just. He is holy. He's not nice. Because mm-hmm. what a nice person does is a nice person is a, a nice person doesn't tell someone the truth when the truth is hurting them. A nice person doesn't tell you that there's lettuce between your teeth, but a kind friend does, right? A nice mm-hmm. person's like, I wouldn't want to say something that would bother you. But a kind person's like, no, I, I actually love you enough to say this thing that might make you feel a little awkward for a second, but it's going to like allow you to go the rest of the evening without, you know, massive piece of lettuce hanging from your teeth. Like that's the difference between nice and kind and good. God is not nice. And it's just this like very self-centered thing of like, well, I want God to be nice. So God is nice. I'm like, wow, how, who, who, who made you the king, the arbiter of what God is like? Uh, it, it's we just... like to think of God as an enabler somehow. Like nice people are enablers, ah. but enablers just keep you, you know, inten- unintentionally or intentionally, they just keep you in your rut, in your cycle, whatever it is. You know, God is never going to enable you to do things that are ultimately destructive for you. Mm. <laughs> you know, yeah. um, He'll allow you to do it if that's your choice, but He will never enable you to do it because He's good and He's too, He loves you too much. Amen. Um, yeah, that's God loves you just as you are, but He loves you too much to leave you that way. To like leave you that way. in exactly. His grace and His mercy, He's going to come. Um, mm-hmm. And you know, along with this, like God is nice thing. And then going back to some of the questions that I think can even be the, the, like the catalyst for someone's deconstructing questions about like, 
my friend died in a helicopter accident or, or just things. It, it's the classic problem of pain to, to reference a C.S. Lewis book title. Yeah. Uh, why does God allow bad things to happen to good people? And in addition to reducing God to just some sort of nice presence in our lives, we have removed a sense of God's holiness, a fear mm-hmm. of God, a fear of the, the Lord's awesomeness, power, holiness, purity. It, it is gone because uh, I think what would be a more helpful and less self-centered question is not why does God allow bad things to happen to good people, but why does God allow good things to happen to any of us? Like we, we are failing to appreciate God's goodness and our human brokenness. Brokenness, mm-hmm. And in Lamentations chapter three, where we get that phrase like, you know, the mercies of God are new every morning. Uh, it starts like this, because of the Lord's faithful love, we do not perish for his mercies never end. They're new every morning, great is your faithfulness. Basically saying like, look, Apart from God's mercy, we'd all just be destroyed today. Um, mm-hmm. the, the reason I'm, I'm breathing air and enjoying the sunshine and a conversation with my friends is because the Lord's faithful love and his mercies that are new every morning. And it is a profound, yeah, it's a bit of a narcissism. Like, I, I, what's weird about it is it's cloaked in this humility of like, I want to be nice to everyone. But what you're doing is saying, I'm actually like the most important figure in the world and I'm going to judge God and decide what God's like. Like talk about narcissistic. Uh, yeah. Good observation. Um, okay. Again, if the shoe fits, wear it. But if the shoe fits, that that's a real problem. And and I, I, I hope people who are deconstructing kind of like, I ho- hope that just gives perspective but but here's a question. I th- I think questions are good. So like, how do we, how do we like questions are going to come to us, and I think ignoring questions is unhealthy. Just pretending we don't have concerns is unhealthy. So how do we, uh, how how do you and I, how, how would we encourage other people who have questions? Like, how do we process qu- questions in a healthy way? Let's let's wrap up the conversation with this. Ooh, um, I would say just trying to gain a perspective and a sense of proportion when you're asking questions. Um, seek, seek truth in the Bible, like read the whole Bible. Like I, you know, I feel like I, I'm a broken record when I, cause I say this to people all the time. I'm like, you have to read the whole Bible to get the full arc of God's goodness and his plan and his righteousness Amen. and justice and all that stuff. Like you can't just take certain parts of scripture that you like and, you know, apply those to your life, but then also take certain scriptures that you hate and then use that as the basis of you walking away from the Lord. Like, like, you, like just read the full Bible and and give God a chance to show you his his master plan, his righteousness, his goodness. Like you gotta seek truth. You can't just seek parts of it. <laughs> like you gotta really seek it. Um, yeah. Does does that make sense? <laughs> it does make sense. That, that would be the first thing that I would say. Yeah. And I, I would. I think I say something similar. Uh, the, there was a really, I I recall back in my late teens, maybe like, maybe I was in college, a friend, like 
shared, I don't know, a dozen questions that kind of he'd been carrying and there were no answers to, and that's why he no longer believed in God. And I remember he shared these and I was like, man, like there are easy answers, like simple answers to almost all of these questions, but he no longer believes in God. Like he, he didn't ask these two years ago when they occurred, he didn't share these with his friends. He carried them by himself until his faith was totally eroded. And then he presents them to the world. And it was, it's like, it felt too late. And yeah. not to say it's too late for him. Certainly he could repent still, but, but there's the sense of like, when you have questions, look for truth, read scripture, mm-hmm. pray about it, ask others questions. And I realized that some people are not good at receiving questions well, but I would say keep asking until you find somebody who is. Um, because, hey, if, if they don't respond well to your question, that's on them. But if you're not pursuing truth, that is on you. Mm-hmm. So pursue truth. And that goes back to what we were talking about earlier, just staying in relationship. We also have to pursue relationship. Because mm. um, that, that does create a safe space to pursue truth. And then, you know, if you're doing it together and with other people, um, that might be illuminating. You know, that might help yeah. you. That might... Yeah. And then uh, another thing that I think is important is I'm a big fan of asking questions and looking for answers. And in my experience, generally speaking, I feel like the Lord allows me to find answers that are helpful and enlarging. Um, but I've, I also recognize I'm not God. I'm definitely not going to be able to understand everything. God doesn't owe me an answer. Uh, there is a there is a an arrogance and even feeling like God owes me an answer. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and then, and I think this leads back to our reference, John six earlier, Jesus is sharing a hard teaching. The crowds are leaving. He turns to the disciples. Are you guys going to leave too? Peter says, to whom will we go? You, you have the words of eternal life. You're the Holy one. And, and there is this there. I felt it myself and I see it at times in people around me. If I can't answer every question, then I just have to like toss everything out. And I'm like, no, that doesn't even make sense. Like I've encountered God. I have found lots of great answers. The fact that maybe once in a while, I don't have a simple or easy or complete answer to something does not change the reality that I know God. And, and I have like, it, it is a weird, like childish tantrum to be like, well, if God doesn't answer this, I'm out. <laughs> like, uh, I, I realize that might sound uh, disparaging or something, but when you think about it, that's kind of what it is. But but we do that sometimes. And so I would just encourage people, as you're looking for answers, look for truth, bring it to God, bring it to others, but recognize God doesn't owe you an answer and we might never know, but we do know God. We do know some truth. Yeah. Related to that, I would say, seek the presence of God, seek mm. presence time, because that's really where our minds and our hearts are transformed in Amen. real ways, you know, and to go back to Psalm 73, when did Asaph have his, his aha moment? You know, it was when yeah. he entered the presence of God, that's when he understood, you know, that everybody, all evil men are going to come to an end, a bad end. They're going to be judged by God, you know, like in the end, God's word is the last word and justice will be. Amen. Um, you know, it's, but it's only when he sought the presence of God. It's like, stay in the presence. Don't withdraw. Like, st- like push in 
you know, whatever you have to do, if that's prayer or worship or just being in church or, again, being in fellowship, going about, like, whatever you got to do, seek presence because then, then you're allowing, you're seeking him. He's going to be found by you and he will, he will make himself known to you. Amen. Amen. And, you know, you, talking about relationship and relationship with the pres- like the Lord himself reminds me in, in 1 Corinthians, Paul says, uh, bad cor- company corrupts good behavior. And it's really just a, uh, like a, a confirmation that peer pressure is a real thing. It's just a fact. Mm-hmm. We're influenced by the people we're around. And be influenced by the presence of God. And be yeah. influenced by people who are looking for truth, who are loving Jesus, who are loving you. Um, yeah. You know, years ago, a couple of friends of mine, they were, they were new Christians. They started hanging out with some other like mutual acquaintances. And I was like, this isn't going to be healthy for them. And I'm not sure there was really much I could do about it. But a few years later, like they were, they'd all deconstructed their faith. And I was like, I, yeah, it was like, it was like the group of people who were questioning God, questioning Christianity. Like, like it, yeah. If if you want to lose your faith, go hang out with them. (laughs) Uh, It, so yeah, I, I I do think that there is a often in the process of deconstruction, there there are many self fulfilling prophecies, and and that is one of the things I really have a lot of compassion for people who are asking questions and have concerns because I am like the annoying. But why? Why? <laughs> I am <I'm> that <laughs> person. So I have a lot of like I I can I identify. I have little compassion when I see someone who seems to be just intentionally like derailing their faith and they're asking questions, but they're not looking for truth. They're hanging out with other people who are like walking away from God. Look, I'm like, you're, you're, you're questioning God. And I can tell you, you're going to end up rejecting him, but not because God isn't God, but because you've already decided that's what you want and that's where you're headed. And And that, that is always sad. I have friends I'm still praying for. And I'm like, you know, oh, dude. So uh, just like a small testimony. I can't share the details. But like somebody I've known for, oh, probably almost 20 years. A child and a, a family where some of the family members, including the parents, are, are following Jesus. But their oldest child never was following Jesus. Like back in high school when I, when I knew him. And uh, he just got saved this week. Like it, oh. it's like one of those like, it, it's hard to even believe it could ever happen because <laughs> they're just like so decidedly. And then, when the Lord uses situations in people's lives, sometimes really tragic situations, but God can use anything to grab a hold of us. And uh, so that's a, an awesome testimony. I'm excited about that right now. And I guess Amen. I'll just conclude this with a little bit of hope. Um, maybe maybe you're listening to this and you're not deconstructing, but you have some friends who are, and you're like, oh, what do I do? Like, keep praying for them. With man, it's impossible, but with God, all things are possible. So mm-hmm. do you have any concluding thoughts, Annika? I don't know. Just no, don't give up on the church. I would say the verse I keep coming back to when I have my rants of frustration about <laughs> the church it just you know paul how he exhorts in the Gal- in galatians he just says do not give up and doing good 
for at the proper time, if we do not give up, we will reap a harvest. And that's just, that is the thing that I cling to most, I think, more than anything else <laughs> right now is just do not give up in doing good. Do not give up in loving the church and being the church that you want to go to. We also have to embody, Amen. <laughs> you know, well, the kind of church that we want to go to, we have to be that kind of church. Um, don't give up on it uh, and just don't give up on God either because he's above you. So look up. That's a good word. That's a good word. Well, hey, thanks so much for joining. Thank this you. This has been awesome. Amen.